Hello, and welcome to Talking Tropes. Today, we're going to blast off in the TARDIS. That stands for Tropes and Respectful Disagreements in Sci-Fi. Yeah, this is going to be a little bit of a controversial one because uh, the universal rule of Doctor Who is that for every opinion you have about Doctor Who, you're there's wrong. someone who exists who has the exact opposite. Exactly. You're wrong. Everyone's wrong about Doctor Who, including <laughs> us. Including so, us. Take everything we say with a grain of salt. Please, please get excited for us to be wrong at you for an hour today. <laughs> because today we're going to really be discussing the difference between the shows of Russell T. Davies and Stephen Moffat. Yeah. And they really are two different shows. Absolutely. You know, they they barely connect. Well, and... <laughs> actually, I don't know. I think I maybe disagree with you on that point. And we're off to the races. yeah um but i think like they they have very different tones and they even have very different goals i would say like russell russell when he writes doctor who i feel like his his main purpose of using time travel and the doctor is he wants to make a statement about the present he wants to make a political statement that's russell t's main goal sure Whereas Moffat's main goal is to explore those high-level philosophy ideas, um, you know, the stuff that pretentious, you know, uh, uh, undergrad philosophy majors really like. <laughs> yeah. You know, stuff like, is there a God? And, like, what purpose does religion serve? And, you know, is there an afterlife? Moffat and... has the biggest boner for the church, man. He's got a huge boner. And, like, sometimes <laughs> he's really critical of of religion in general, but usually he's just really interested in it, which I find I, I find that really fun to watch, just him exploring the idea of religion. What sure. do you think? Um, yeah, I don't know that he explores it necessarily. I think mostly he's incredibly critical of it. Um, I don't know. Like, so, okay, obviously the big villain in season six is the Church of the Silence, um, which is just a religion that whose main doctrine is destroying the doctor. Yeah. But then you find out that they did it for kind of like a good reason. And, you know. Not really. Well, you find out it's just like an extremist sect of a pretty normal religion. It's still a pretty crazy seeming religion. It's just the I church mean, in space. Fair enough. Yeah, I know. It's and, like, space church. They like, become whatever. militarized, which you find out in the time of angels. But it's kind of portrayed like, yeah, no, like religion is a military force in some ways. They they do have a coercive nature and they did historically. Like, I feel like that's an exploration rather than a criticism. No? <sighs> I don't know. I think because all over this, his seasons, and I think in general for Doctor Who, like this is mm. this is why I disagree with there being two different seasons, uh, or well, not two different seasons, two but different shows, two different yeah. shows, is because I think a lot of the main like staples, like philosophical staples of what Doctor Who is, like sort of carries through. You know, the, I I just disagree. The when doctor at, is a like, man without a gun. He doesn't like soldiers. He like hold on, likes hold on, to hold save on. There's people. There's a difference between being a man without a gun, which is a Russell trope, and disliking soldiers, which is more of a Moffat trope. Like the way that Russell T deals with the like war and violence is bad thing is it's very binary. It was it is the doctor does not use guns 
and then except for up when until he does his last LOL. episode <laughs> well like the last episode is where he does and like it's portrayed as like this big moral dilemma that he has to use a gun even though he's not even really using it to kill anybody <laughs> you know uh wait do you mean the last episode of russell t's run yeah yeah sorry the end of time technically the doctor a big... uses a gun at the end of season one um yeah okay that's true it's like a laser gun yeah but, yeah um yeah i guess the portrayal of his like genocidal mania against the daleks is, is has always been a weird sticking point for me yeah well and like well so i mean i think on your side of things i think that's something that moffat develops pretty pretty well later in his, his run his, his genocidal tendencies nature? towards well not like makes him more genocidal as in develops but like explores that in a more interesting and maybe nuanced way um yeah i think nuance is a is a pretty big difference between russell and moffat just in terms of like the commentary like Russell, I, I really associate Russell with, um, with like, Pestiche. stories about greedy people and, like, money being really yeah, bad. Yeah, that's definitely a big thing for, for Russell. Like, the plot of several episodes in season one are just, I just wanted to make more money. I think that's yeah. the plot of The Long Game, the episode where um, Simon Pegg is uh where where Simon Pegg is the head of a news corporation. Yeah. That's also an evil alien organization. <laughs> uh so that's also the news is bad in in addition to money is bad. Uh but the plot of end of the world. I didn't see that with, as news is bad. Well, what did you think the, I think the message of that one was? I think it's asking us to be critical of who like, it's not that news is bad, it's like... Okay, this... but in the episode, the news, and there's only one news, so it's not like people are tuning into the wrong right, that's stations. what that's what it was. There's only one news. So, like, to me, that's like, don't let the news become a monopoly. Stop letting Rupert Murdoch, right, but is like, there buy really, everything. Is there really a big danger of the news completely becoming a monopoly, even back in 2005, before the independent, you know, news revolution? Not really. What he's really saying is... News is bad. No, he's not. That's the dumbest shit. All right, shit. let's move on to Gridlock. Okay. Wait, what's his statement about drugs? What's his statement about drugs in Gridlock? To me, this is drugs not... Drugs are bad. The drugs are bad. That's like an overly simplistic way of like, yeah, looking at it. Yeah, that's what Russell is. He's overly simplistic. No. Because it's not about like pollution being bad and like blah, blah, yes, blah. Yes, it is. That's exactly what it's about. No, it's mean? about people who are the trapped in, in an undercity. Yeah, they're trapped in an undercity, sure, but the 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 big like it's the issue system. is the pollution no, and no, no. like they're choking on the fumes and it's feeding these evil crab people. But they're not choking like, on the fumes. They're living in their cars. Like it's fine. They can't go outside yeah, of their cars. They're trapped in their cars by the fumes. Correct. Like, if, they, if there weren't the fumes, they could just get out and leave. That's true, but like so the fumes are not like the commentary themselves they're the plot device keeping the people in these cars which is about like the whole thing's about systems and how people will blindly trust a system and drive in a loop for 20 years i think you're giving him so much credit for writing a story about a traffic jam forever see i Ooh. like gridlock <laughs> i 
fucking hate gridlock. That's fine, but like they're just like the 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 episode starts and they're like they're not drugs, they're moods, and it's like so they're drugs that induce particular moods. Yeah, and you're saying drugs are bad because it's bad to do drugs, and they will spread a disease that kills everyone. <sighs> yeah. <laughs> and okay, then they, maybe everybody drugs... gets in their cars maybe, and there's too many cars and maybe there's a lot drugs of pollution. Are, maybe drugs are bad. But no, I, I'm standing firm. On, I will give you drugs are bad. I am standing yeah. firm on this on is not cars. about cars and All pollution right. are bad. Like, I'm not saying he's, he's saying they're good, but like, <laughs> whatever. All right, let's move on to Partners in Crime, his next big uh, social commentary, where the moral of the story is, Weight loss pills are bad. <laughs> I, here's the thing. I like, can't manage to find anything that I hate about this episode because the fucking adipose are so cute. I can find something that I hate. Okay, but let me love it for a second. Which is that the doctor only makes things worse. <laughs> in that episode. I don't think anybody's pointed this out. But like, No, 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 so because they, later in when the the doctor doesn't exist anymore at the end of season four or whatever and turn left sure um everyone in america turns into fat like okay but i don't believe i don't believe that because i don't understand why they wouldn't just do this over a long period of time like why they would accelerate unless the doctor intervenes so i just don't even buy that from russell because they established that, like, the evil villainous woman who's like, I'm a foster mother. Yeah. Mm. I chose um, my name very carefully. God, what a bad line. <laughs> um, oh, God. We'll talk about Russell dialogue in a second. But um, <laughs> Partners in Crime, basically, they established that the villain is just going to have, like, individual bits of fat walk away um, one at a time. For like the next few years. And that's how they'll reproduce. But then the doctor intervenes and she's like, we gotta speed up production. And then they turn everybody into fat people. If he wasn't there, everything would be fine. See, I disagree. I think they would have gone a little evil with it. But It seems like there aren't even any side effects to like one pound of fat walking away. Like turning into an adipose. So, like, I don't understand why they aren't just totally public with this. Like, hey, everyone, you all know aliens exist because aliens have invaded, like, five times yeah, in the Yeah, it's a bad years. villain plan. So, why don't you all just help give birth to a new race of cute, adorable aliens <laughs> and also lose weight? Like, why is it a secret? Yeah. I'll tell you why. Because weight loss pills are bad. Okay, fine. But I love... <laughs> The adipose, they're adorable. Who doesn't love them? Um, they're they're fine. They're, they're fine. Kind of creepy looking. What of the CG? I think it's some of the cutest CG that this show manages to pull off. Well, it's definitely cuter than the Lazarus experiment, but like, <laughs> we don't like to talk about giant scorpion man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Though you are totally right. Like, it is Donna that kills the lady in Partners in Crime. Yeah, she just straight up murders somebody by accident by, like, twisting a little necklace thing. Yeah, I don't know. I'll say, like, going off of that, um, I think another one of things that keeps popping up in um, Russell's episodes is 
f- fat people and fat things and fat aliens. Yeah, and, he's like, very interested in fat. But like, I, I didn't think about that. But like, not in a particularly interesting way. Like, it's no, just like he just like like there's a now couple there's a fat alien Voyage of the Dams who are just like we're the fat couple. Yeah, <laughs> this is our character trait. We're we're fat and sweet and poor, but. Be sad yeah, when we die. Yeah, and then like every one of the um, yeah, every one of the Slovene is also disguised as a fat person. Right, exactly. It's a weird thing. Yeah, like, I didn't think about that. Fat people are evil. It's like a little bit weird. Um, that's just something that I picked up on. Um, maybe now's a good time to talk about Russell and camp. Yeah, he very campy. Camp- campiness. He sees Doctor Who as an inherently campy show that cannot be taken too seriously. Right, I would say. Especially in the first couple seasons, but throughout. Um, I think that being campy like helps the show and also can hurt it because defining your show is only one thing all the time and not giving it the room to grow or mature is a dangerous, I think, attitude to have towards it. Right. He does let it mature for sure and lets it get serious. Yes. But he, he doesn't sacrifice... The really goofy shit. Yeah. Which is sometimes really fun. Yeah. Um, I gotta say, I really... People give this episode a lot of shit, but I like Love and Monsters. Okay. I I remembered not liking it that much, and then upon rewatching it, I liked it a lot more. I thought it was pretty good. Yeah, people are getting miffed because the Doctor's not in it much. Well, yeah, it was a budget episode. Like... You know, people get mad at it because it's too goofy and silly and, like, the monster is goofy and silly. Guys, the monster was designed by, like, a 10-year-old kid (laughs) who just loves Doctor Who. Like, quit being assholes. Yeah, well, and also, I think, like, for me, the only thing that's, like, particularly bad about this episode is just the ending. Um, yeah, and the blowjob joke. Yeah, but, like, know. the blowjob joke kind of sours it, but I think on the whole, it's some really solid writing. I care some about the dialogue these... Is, some of the dialogue is just terrible. Like, yeah. uh, Morning Myrtle, or whatever her name is, <laughs> yes. at one point is, like, trying to stop the villain from hitting um, the, the main character of the episode. Yeah. And so she's just like... Don't you dare hit him or I'll strike you so much, I tell you what, and I'll <laughs> kick you too. Yeah. Like, I don't know who talks like that, but it's yeah. not people. <laughs> There's also a Scooby-Doo chase scene in that uh, episode. I kind of loved the Scooby-Doo chase scene. I absolutely adore the Scooby-Doo chase scene. Like, who doesn't love a good Scooby-Doo chase scene? <laughs> Popping out of doors. So, it looks awful in live action. Yeah. Like, it looks really awkward, but I think it kind of, like, runs with it. <laughs> yeah. It just, I don't know. Like, it's this goofy little story just about... I think this is maybe why you like it, too, um, because it's about the effect that the Doctor has on other people. Yeah, and it's the only episode where they actually make Jackie Tyler into a human being character. (laughs) Okay, I think that's a lot on Jackie. Okay, well, let's talk about Jackie. Okay. Because I think that Russell T. Davies hates moms. Um... All three of the moms are terrible people. Jackie Tyler is portrayed as an idiot. I, I, said, I don't think Moffat is particularly kind to moms either. 
Um, Moppet usually just kills off the mom before the... Yeah, he does not like families. Starts. Um, <laughs> yeah, because he has a really small cast. Um, but Russell T likes big casts. Yeah. He likes lots of characters. Um, but, like, part of that is that he feels the need to write mom characters in there. And he writes them as these nagging, like, kind of, like, overly sexual, but, like, condemned for their sexuality. Like, how dare you hit on the doctor, Jackie Tyler? Wait, Jackie's the... Even though your daughter literally does it (laughs) and is way younger. Hold on, but Jackie's the the only one who I think is portrayed as particularly sexual. Yeah, that's that's true. But the other moms are both equally naggy. Yes. Like... Martha's mom is more or less a villain. Like she just completely teams up with the uh, Harold Saxon's yeah under you know regime under threat of gunpoint. Well, at the end, under threat of gunpoint. But before that, she's just like, "I'm worried about you, so I'm going to call the cops on your boyfriend." From space. Yeah. <laughs> and then you know Donna's mom equally is like always telling her that she's not good enough and yeah. like she's never going to amount to anything. Like I think Russell's got some mommy issues. <laughs> I was watching some of these episodes with a friend of mine. Uh yeah. And anytime Donna's mom came on screen, they would just like boo audibly. <laughs> boo. <laughs> boo. I hate her. She's the worst. Cuz you don't really need her cuz the parent role is filled by Wilfred who's yeah. one of the best characters Russell ever wrote. Wolf is great. What a sweetheart. Oh man. He could like you don't even have to write him that well cuz Bernard Cribbins is just such an adorable man. Right. Like he'll bring he'll bring it to the role. <laughs> okay, well here's my question. Um okay. what do you think is Russell T's best episode? Um his best episode? I feel like this is a hard question. I'm sort of springing it on myself as well. I tend to side towards Midnight because he's able to use his commentary as as usually like it's really in your face and this is kind of his more subtle use of commentary about yeah power structures and human nature and behavior um yeah midnight if you guys don't remember is the one where the doctor is trapped on a spaceship um and he's kind of at the whim of the mob mentality um when because there's like an evil alien that no one understands that's trapped in there with him yeah if you if you want to hear more about that you can check out uh episode two, two right our bottle episode episode yeah we talk a we talk a lot about midnight there. Um, okay, yeah, I think that's fair. Um, what do you think? Hmm, I'm like. If you say gridlock, I'm gonna get mad. It's not. It's not gridlock. I feel like it's definitely something in season four, just because. Well, season three, I like a lot. So, like, I'll say that the best season that Russell wrote is absolutely season three. Really, the master is done really well. Um. Better, I think, than Moffat does the master even, but yeah, by like a slim cause... margin. Um, and I just really like how far Martha has to go to in every episode. Pretty much, she's okay. Martha is a goes martyr. through the worst shit of any companion. Yeah, she is just run through the ringer. Totally. Um. 
and she's the best. Uh, she's also the most competent. Yeah, she's the most the competent. Who. But she gets kidnapped like every episode. It's yeah, really weird. That's true. I did not even think about that. Yeah, she gets kidnapped in Gridlock. She and Smith and Jones. They all get kidnapped. Smith and Jones. She gets kidnapped, oh my god, all throughout that season. And then even when she comes back, she gets kidnapped in both episodes she recurs in. Yeah. Except Wait, for uh, except for Journey's End. But like, yeah. that's still, wow. Like, Martha, oh, she just gets the short end of the stick all the time. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it, uh, like, well, the first time I watched um, Doctor Who... God, way back in who knows what year. Um, <laughs> Martha, I was not a fan of Martha at the beginning, but I think it's just because it's such a tough season and, like, she's going through a lot of tough crap and the doctor's just treating yeah, her she like gets, She's garbage. always just, like, waiting. She's like, oh, she's the only companion who ends up in indentured servitude. Yeah. Um, She's the only companion who you know, gets stuck in 1960 and has to get a job. Yep. Uh, She just gets stuck places. But I I think also it's the sort of thing that's better on a rewatch because you know how it's going to end and you know the catharsis and, like, character, like, growth that she's going to show. She leaves because she she doesn't want to be friend-zoned. Right? Well, I mean, but it's not so much friend zoned. It's that she knows that she's not going to be able to move on from the doctor if he's in her life every day, and she wants to be able to do that so that she can be friends with him. Like she, she doesn't wants to really move on so much as she just like keeps pursuing that high by going to unit. Like, are you saying that that's like a portrayal of her character? No, 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 no. Well, here's the thing. Like, sure, she continues to seek adventure and like. She's gained this skill. She, but she, you know, she finishes becoming a doctor before joining Unit, and like sure. she is able to sort of by move on from the doctor. I mean, like literally romantically. Like gotcha. she's yeah. she's so obsessed with so him and in she love. Gets married to literally the first guy she meets. Yeah. And, okay. The Mickey then, marriage is well, dumb. First, she gets engaged to like some guy from the Sound of Drums. And then, um... Wait, she's engaged then, to someone else in The Sound of Drums? Yeah, do you remember in the, uh, Santaran episode, you find out that Martha was engaged to somebody? No, she wasn't. She absolutely was. What? She's engaged to the doctor that she meets while traveling around the world in Sound of Drums. No way. Do you want to look it up and we can cut this? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Dang, you're totally right. So yeah, um, apparently you just completely forgot that Martha had a totally unseen, unmentioned romance with a random character who never comes back. Jeez. And then uh, Russell pairs her up with the only other black main character that he ever wrote. Oh, boy. Mickey, who he also gives the short end of the stick yeah, at all times. What a bump monkey. That, But here's the thing. Any boy that has to go up against the doctors uh, loses. Sure. Like, he is, is the butt monkey. Of course. The, the gooseberry, as uh, Moffat would say. Uh, yeah. 
Um, I I mean I I think that's fair, but like Mickey more than anybody just has no purpose to the story. It serves zero function. Yeah, I would have to agree with that. Like he's just <laughs> another thing. Also, just their relationship with Rose is so bad. I just I hate every part of it. It's it's okay. So is now the time to sort of compare Moffat and Russell's ideas of romance in the Doctor? Because they have very different ways of doing it. Before we get to the romance, I kind of want to just go through a couple other like things that I think um, sure. Russell. Yeah, yeah. Russell does. Russell loves a goofy robot. It's his favorite. With a catchphrase. With a catchphrase. They got it. I mean, I'll say like, this too. Moffat also begins to rely on that a lot. But boy, howdy, does RTD really like that <laughs> repeating robot. Well, well, I mean, here's the thing. Is like the, the Cybermen in the original series didn't say delete. Like... <laughs> that's a thing that Russell added because he just sort of wanted them to have a catchphrase. Yeah. Like, exterminate. He likes exterminate. Yeah. I mean, who doesn't like exterminate, though? And then he writes, like, the angel robots, and they're like, information, you are going to die. Kill, kill, kill. Like, yeah. he's he likes those uh, robot catchphrases. Well, and also, what are literally, robot catchphrases? literally every Christmas special that Russell T. writes has a robot in it as the villain. Yeah. The Christmas Santa robots. Yeah. Christmas invasion, Santa robots, the, the runaway bride, more Santa robots. Uh, um, And then Voyage of the Damned has angel robots instead of Santa robots, which are still Christmas themed. Right. But the faces are clearly used from like the Santa robots or like it's, it's the same robots. (laughs) Um, Part of me is like, is this supposed budget issues? Like, this is the Christmas shit you had made already, so, like, you're using it again? Well, no, he adds more CGI Christmas trees. So That's true. You gotta be... have that CGI Christmas tree. It's just that he's not a creative person when it comes to Christmas. Yeah, and then the next Doctor is also just more... It's Cybermen, it's robots, so... Yeah, but that one also has, like, an evil woman Cyberman... Cyber yeah. Woman bad. Woman scorned cyber woman queen. Is she really a woman scorned though? I, honestly, I couldn't follow her motivation at all. It yeah. was like the she men treat like, me badly. But also so. I hate children, so now I'll take over Victorian London. Huzzah! It's it's impossible to follow her motivation. Similar to Cassandra in New Earth. Mm. Like what was her motivation in that episode? Yeah, get a new body and make the doctor sad? Question mark. But then she like starts like threatening the nurses and I'm like, "Wait, are you related to the nurses and the medical experimentation?" No, she was trying to extort money from them so that she oh, could yeah, pay for surgery. Right. Cuz cuz she's another <laughs> she's another villain who only cares about money, just like the villain in Voyage of the Damned, who it's just a money-making scheme. Yeah. And just like her other scheme in End of the World and just like the money-making schemes it's all money for the the Slavine also just want to make money off of blowing up a planet. Yeah. He really doesn't like greed. He doesn't like war and he doesn't like greed. One other thing that Russell really likes is uh 
making fun of aliens who talk funny. So, like, he names his first big alien, he calls them Raxacoricothalipatorians. And then the next one he gets to name, he's like, oh, I'm going to call it the Mighty Jagrafess of the Holy Hadrajasic Maxarodinfo, which was so complicated that Simon Pegg literally couldn't even pronounce it. So they, you know, had him get cut off. <laughs> um, and then, like, he he reverses it with the uh, the guy from Love and Monsters, because he's, like, from the, the brother planet to um, Raxacorco Thalpatorius. Right. But his planet's just called Klom. Huh. Get it? It's short. Um, and then, like, he loves the, the rhinos, the Jadoon. Like, he loves the yeah. way they talk. They're just like... He thinks that's really funny. Right. And then in uh, Voyage of the Damned, he's got a guy called Banakafalata who keeps saying his name like a catchphrase. Right. Over and over. Yeah. And I think, so I don't, I don't know about classic who, um, I don't think it did this. Yeah. (laughs) I don't, I don't think it had catchphrases, right? Like not really. I mean, like there was like, would you like a jelly baby? And you know, like there were a couple of things that repeated, but they were more like in jokes than straight up catchphrases. Yeah, like like Russell is technically the one to introduce catchphrases with uh, Tenet with the uh, Allons-y. Yeah, and... Allons-y. Like you, some people say that that Eccleston's uh, catchphrase was fantastic. It is, but I think he just. I think he just is really excited about stuff. Yeah. So like, well, and also it's just like he's fantastic a lot. He's he's not there long enough to like really have a catchphrase. Yeah, like when it's something that you like wink and say like every third episode over three seasons. Molto bene, allons-y. Yeah. Literally, when the the way that you in midnight he uses catchphrases as a plot device. Right. That's amazing. I've never seen that done before. That was that pretty cool. That your catchphrase cool. is a plot device for how they know that the alien stole your voice. That's that's pretty good. That's a good yeah. use of catchphrases, I think. Good use of catchphrase, plus in the Russell com- uh, column. Yeah. What else? What else is silly that Russell does? Um, He's got some goofy Acme TNT at some point. And, uh, really? Yeah. That's, I think that falls into camp. Yeah, that falls into camp for sure. Um, um, he has the 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 evil weakest weakest link robot like bad reality oh, yeah. shows that are evil. But then who who becomes a, a hero a big, in her final moments? Well, the Anbot. Okay. I don't think or that Android, was supposed to be a is. redemption arc for the robot. I think it was more just a joke. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe it was a redemption arc, though. No, they reprogrammed her. Like, she doesn't have any free will. Okay, the, uh, I think the other big one that um, Russell's interested in is, like, class issues. Um, yes, very much so. Like, and, and I but think what we... what does he have to say about class? Well, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> good question. He's like, low-class people are good, and rich upper-class people are bad. Yeah. Like, his main thing is just that, like, Rose and Donna are really great because they're low class and they're positive. And the girl from Voyage of the Damned. Very much so. Um, 
Like they're just they're special, even though they don't think they're special. And right. the reason they don't think they're special is because they're low class. Well, it's because society's told them that they're not special. Right. So I okay, like it's a somewhat empowering message, but it's just not a very interesting message about class, which is a complicated thing. Sure. With a lot of inner working parts. And he doesn't really have anything to say other than I don't like the rich people, I like the poor people. Yeah, no, so like class um but but the like idea that like every person is special i think this is another example of themes that carry through both russell's t davies and moffat's um runs sure and then both of them fall into the trap of yeah sure they're special but only because they get hit with like a magic ray gun or, you know, are zapped inside or of the doctor's body. Because like it's all of through the doctor, the doctor that they become special. Yeah. yeah. But I mean <sighs> Like what's really special about Rose Tyler, I'll tell you, it's just she ate God once <laughs> and didn't die. Yeah. <laughs> like that was real smart, Rose. You just ate God. Can, can we agree that Martha's and... just actually cool? Yeah, Martha's just actually a well-written character, so, you know, good on you. <laughs> um, like, she, yeah, everything that she does is because she's clever, but Rose is specifically characterized as not being clever, as is Donna. Right. But Donna's big, like, plus is that they just keep writing reasons that being a temp is really good for some right. reason. So, like, in The Doctor's Daughter, there's, like, a dating system that she identifies because she's a great temp. <laughs> and in the Santaran episode, she, like, goes into an office and, like, immediately looks for the sick days yeah. because she's a temp. Yeah. Like, they just keep writing reasons why being a temp is apparently super helpful when it never would be if Donna wasn't a character. Yeah. <laughs> like, nowhere else is the Doctor going, like, where's a temp when you need her? Right. I don't know, but but I kind of like that. It's saying, like, look, you may not think you have really important skills, but, like, every skill's got to come in handy at least once, you know? But it shows a fundamental misunderstanding of why Donna is a good character. Okay. And I do think that Donna is a good character. Yeah, she's Because my her contrast with the Doctor is that the Doctor doesn't know when to stop. Yeah. He's been going for so long that he just doesn't know when to quit. He has no empathy left. He doesn't really care about people anymore. And Donna can empathize or sympathize with, like, a plastic bag. Yeah. Like, she's really good at that. Yeah. And that's why I hate Journey's End so much. Do you want to talk about it? Sure, okay. Why do you hate Journey's End? Um, Journey's End, it, it messes up a lot of themes for the sole purpose of getting the Doctor and Rose together um, in this really contrived way. Like, I think you'll obviously admit that that was really contrived, right? What, bringing her the, over? The doctor shoots his his lasers into his hand, which makes another doctor who's human this time. Oh. But he's also part Donna. Yeah. Um, And because of that, he's allowed to fuck Rose whenever he wants. Yeah. He's, like, morally allowed to do that <laughs> Um, now that he's human. But, like, it doesn't change his age, really. He's either two seconds old or he's a still, you know, 900 years old. Right. So it's still creepy as hell that they're actually, that we're actually supposed to support them as a couple. No, um, I don't know. Like. I think it's creepy as hell. 
I think what's creepy about it is that the doctor is like, here, take fake me. <laughs> like, it, I think it's weirder for that, like, for Rose. Right. Well, that's exactly my point, right? Like, it doesn't happen naturally. It's literally just like the script is telling Here's them, a consolation, okay, doctor. Get together. This is a consolation prize. Yeah. They literally say, like, you know, he's, but he's not you. And it's like, well, he kind of is. Yeah. I don't know. And then, so, the the conception is that when Donna is mixed with the doctor, she adds human ingenuity to the doctor's ingenuity, and so is therefore able to reprogram all the Daleks by pressing buttons, which, first of all, why the hell are there even buttons on a Dalek ship? <laughs> Daleks don't have fucking fingers. Yeah, okay. But, wait, she doesn't press buttons on the Dalek ship, does she? Yeah, she does. Hmm. She's, that's how, that's what she does. She's like, did I tell you? I thought it had... I can type really yeah, fast. Yeah, but I thought that that took place on the TARDIS. And then she types. <laughs> no, it's not. It's on the okay. ship. Um, and so then she's like, oh, I'm sorry. I need to collect my thoughts for a second. Um, right, so... Then Donna is just sort of supposed to be, like, a representation of human smartness, which she's never been represented as before. But, like, if humans had doctor smartness, they'd be more creative, I guess. But Donna isn't even that creative. Like, why is this what she adds? And then this is reversed by the fact that the new doctor that pops up, the the Dr. Donna doctor is, like, more violent, despite the fact that Donna is less violent than the Doctor. So shouldn't their combined form be more peaceful and understanding to Davros? Saying it's a bad fusion. It's a bad fusion. It's, yeah, that's a perfect way to say it. It's it's a bad fusion. And uh, I, I just think, like, it, it goes against everything that Russell establishes as themes, like the fact that the Doctor lived too long. Well, this doctor hasn't lived at all, you know, and it's just sort of explained away by being like, well, he was born in war. And it's like, yeah, well, so was the doctor. <laughs> well, he wasn't born in war. Well, the 10th was he was born in the middle of an invasion. OK. And he fights with a sword. That's true. Doctor sword fighting. I mean, I like the doctor sword fight. <laughs> Me too. But you can see what I'm saying about Journey's End, right? Yeah, I can... No, I I can respect that. Um, so the arc for Donna becomes not that she's this mitigating force on the Doctor, but she's just kind of like... She's special because of reasons. Right. Because timelines. I mean, because timelines. I don't know. I just... Well, let me ask you this. How do you feel about Turn Left? I like Turn Left because it actually shows her impact. And it's like it alludes to the fact that she's special, but it doesn't sort of, you know, give a shitty reason why. Right. I think I think Turn Left um, agrees with you that Danya's power is not her temp power or her it's empathy. It's right. It's her empathy and her ability to say, hey, doctor, maybe don't kill the giant spider thing so yeah. much. And then he drowns. Yeah. Did could the doctor just always drown? 
I, who knows, man? I mean, turn left has some issues, but I love you've got something on your back. Yeah. I love, you It's know, a great creepy episode. It's a great yeah. Donna episode. I mean, like... let's, 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 uh, let's tell it like it is. Russell still has a pretty shallow understanding of the political world because his idea is just if the doctor wasn't around, then Nazis happen. Well, it's not Nazis, but it's fascism. And like, right, honestly, but it's very Nazi like fascism. Like, sure. It wasn't but... Mussolini fascism. It was let's cart off the immigrants and put them in concentration camps. Like, honestly, though, <laughs> in the current political climate of our world, like. But does. But he. The only reason that he gives for it is that, well. I guess it happens because a bunch of natural disasters occur and the doctor isn't there to stop them. Like a nuclear bomb goes off in the form of the Titanic crashing into Earth. Right. And that causes fascism, which I feel like that's a very shallow commentary on fascism. But I mean, that is... As compared to Moffat's commentary about fascism in the Extremist Trilogy. Okay. Uh, I mean, uh, I think also another big Doctor Who trope, which I think happens just because of it's a giant sci-fi show. Um, you know, there's always the end of something, the end of time, the world's going yeah. to end, World War Three is going to happen, blah blah blah. Big, big scary title. Yeah, but bad wolf, bad wolf, scary, scary thing. Okay, but Bad but wolf, scary thing. But not scary thing. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying specifically like high stakes, like okay, that yeah, affects sure. the entire world or like all. He of does a lot of invasion universe. stories, which Moffat does very few invasion stories. Relatively. Yeah, um, it's it's for Davies. I think it's more it's the end of the world, and I think with Moffat, it tends to be more it's the end of every. It's the end of the universe. Well, sometimes for him, it's just, it's the end of the doctor. Sometimes it's really personal stakes or like just the people on the spaceship might die or, you know, just the main characters might die. Like those are usually his stakes. It's usually very small. Who, Moffat? Yeah. I disagree a lot. Um, Okay. Well, I mean. Let's, let's transition over to Moffat. Okay. So like Moffat's big, like he does an invasion story to start, but like, first of all, his um his first couple episodes are very personal in the russell era like blink is just a couple people might die totally That's like the only thing i agree and the girl in the fireplace uh it's very much like one girl might die yeah christmas carol one or well actually it's uh like a million people might die in a car crash but like <laughs> That's still, like, pretty small comparatively. It's not like the world's going to end. It's like a bunch of people might die, and that's sad. 4,000 people. Sure. That's, that's a big what he number, says, yeah. No, 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 but, like, like it, I... It might as well have been one person. Like, who cares? I, I'm agreeing with you. Um, but, like... Then, obviously, Wedding of River Song is, yeah, it's the end of time itself. The end of time itself. Like, sorry, can you get more dramatic on me, please? <laughs> <laughs> it's a bad episode. Um, I mean, like, what's the stakes really in, like, the snowmen? There's no stakes. 
Like, yeah. If, if anything, I would say Moffat's issue is that his stakes are too low all the time rather than being too high. I don't know. He... This is, I think, sometimes my problem with Moffat is that he does a lot of telling and not showing, and he's like, these are the stakes. They're incredibly <laughs> high. The doctor will die today. And Well, the it's thing like, is, both <sighs> shows do a lot of exposition. I just think that the exposition is sometimes more enjoyable in Moffat because he does a lot of wordplay and a lot of just, like, like over-cleverness. Um, whereas, like... Russell T episodes are almost entirely exposition every time. Uh, what do you mean by that? So, like, in the Christmas invasion, stakes keep getting raised, but it's always just someone explaining what's happening the whole episode. It's like, oh, it's, the, it's a lot of people are walking and they're being weird. Okay, why? And so someone's, like, explaining, like, well, there's no commonality, blah, 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 blah. And then you get to the end, and then, like, the doctor explains, oh, it's it's blood. The blood types. Like, the whole episode is just revealing new information. It's not actually, like, advancing any character arcs or, or plot. Yeah. Um, which Moffat does the same thing, but typically he uses a lot of, like, Sorkin-esque repartee to reveal sure, information. Sure, okay. I agree. Um, it's a lot of back and forth with the doctor and the companion, which sort of makes the companion more worthwhile than just like somebody going like, oh, wow, how interesting. They're typically like asking questions back and, and then the doctor is responding to them and, or responding to a question they asked five minutes ago instead of the one that they're asking right now. That's very Sorkin to me. Yeah, but it is, I would, I would say yes, that Moffat is incredibly hyperverbal. <laughs> um <laughs> Sometimes for the best, sometimes for the worst. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. It's just, like, for me, the stakes with Moffat, like, and <laughs> taking notes for this episode, the amount of times that I wrote STAKES in all caps is, like, Which a episode, lot. Uh, what's an episode that really had bad, bad stakes? Ugh. I'll I'll give you a couple while you're looking. Doctor Widow in the wardrobe has no stakes. No, that one has bad stakes. Um, God, deep breath. Um, yeah, well, deep uh, breath, which is the first. Deep breath has very personal stakes. It's just like there's a, like a serial killer basically, and the serial killer <sighs> is killing people, and he might kill Clara. But it's like, at this point, I don't give a crap about Clara, so okay. who cares? We'll get to Clara. Don't worry, guys. <laughs> um, I really like Clara. She doesn't. That's I hate fine. her. It's fine. That's not true. I don't hate her at the end, but... She takes some I time to develop we'll get there. at all. Yeah. Um, oh God. Well, that's a Russell T episode. Uh, Listen has some stakes. Has good stakes or bad stakes? This is a good question. Well, let's talk about Listen, because I think Listen's a great way to talk about Moffat in general, because Listen is Moffat recognizing that his tropes ah. are ridiculous and silly. Okay, no, I disagree. <laughs> um, like, well, okay, yes, I agree that he, it's sort it's of... self-aware, at the, least. The ending... But not until the very end. What do you mean and not until the very like... end? The whole episode was written before they submitted it. 
What do you mean? He wrote the whole episode to lead up to the ending. No, no, no. I mean until the end of the episode. That's what I'm saying. Right, exactly. Like The ending reveals that the whole episode is just him... Is bullshit, which was like, what did I do with the last hour of okay. my life? Why am I watching okay, bullshit? But if you think about it as Moffat is sort of challenging himself and rethinking the way that he writes an episode, it, it feels like a turning point in season eight, where afterwards he's a little bit more creative, a little bit more interesting. And, yeah. and I feel like Listen is just a story where he knows that all he's been doing is writing about fear really base fear and telling everybody that their fears are real. Um, But they're not. They're just these unfounded, silly things. Fear of the dark, fear of, um, you know, fear of something being right behind you or, or that you can't quite remember or something like fear of, of uh, not being able to blink or move like these base fears that he's addressing, but they're really nothing to be afraid of. Right. I well, okay, so for me, the real stakes of this episode is about like Clara between the doctor and Danny yeah. Pink. And like if you don't care about Clara that, and Danny have sure. z- zero chemistry. I disagree. I think um, they have a really interesting dynamic wherein like they're both really dismissive of the other's wants and needs. But they have... Which is a horrible dynamic! No, they're not a good couple. Like, I wouldn't want them to get together. They have this connection through what they value, which is, you know, children, helping people, being a good person. And that's their real connection. But they disagree entirely on how to accomplish that. I think that's a bad relationship that I don't want to see happen. I don't care about them getting together. And it doesn't. I don't what do you, care. Like, what's your issue then? Well, because the episode is asking us to care. The episode is it's saying... It's asking us to care about whether or not they get together, which I do. But and I don't. I'm interested in the way that they're that they change each other as people, which they definitely change. But, like, barely. I don't know. So, for me, the stakes of this episode is their relationship. And if I don't care about that, then I don't care about the episode. And I don't care about that. I don't care about Clara yet. Like, I don't know. I think it just absolutely fails. I, I don't think it fails. I think Listen is really a fascinating deconstruction of Doctor Who as a concept. What it is drawing on. And what it says about the Doctor as a character, that he is so fearful all the time, um, and he never admits it. He always pretends to be in the know and brave because he's actually really scared underneath it all. He's just a scared little kid. Okay, for me, also, just just more on stakes, um, the Moffat believes that the only way to have stakes in an episode is if a character is in threat of dying, um, and they might fake die several times in the same episode, um, and then. Well, yeah, like, but then they're how fine else do you at the end. Stakes in a Doctor Who episode. You just said you don't give a shit about character. No, I so do give a you have to crap have about character. I don't care about Clara. Um, like I don't care about her character. I care about the Doctor. But here's the thing: I'm gonna I'm gonna stop caring about the Doctor and stop caring if he lives or dies if his life is on the line. Like, every episode is just, but then the doctor might die. Like, well, 
then here then here's what I say to that, which is your issue is really more with the fact that this show has been running for fifty years. No, I don't think it that we've, is that we've we've peaked in terms of how much stakes there can be in an episode. No, because... but I I like give the stakes to someone else if they live or die. Like, don't make it. Okay, but this like... is what Russell does: is he just has self-sacrificing characters in every single episode. Right. Which I don't I, think is a better system. I, I agree. Because I don't care about any of those side characters at all. For sure. They're not characterized at all. They're just there to die. For sure. That's that's super fair. And I think a great example of that is um, the Voyage of the Damned. You know, like everyone Absolutely. is just there to kind of die and make you feel or sad. Or to live and then for the doctor to be angry that somebody that he didn't like lived. Though also, LOL, just on that note, yeah. <laughs> I noticed that... The only people who lived were all the straight white dudes. Yeah. Well, that was the point. Is like, he's really sad that the straight white dudes and the one gay white dude yeah. were, were alive. Because those are, he was, he, he didn't want them to live. He wanted the, the fat lady and the regular lady. And the and black the, dude. And the black dude. All right. Well, anyway. Um... <laughs> I, I don't know. It's just like death is not the only stake. There are plenty of other shows and sci-fi shows that exist where the stakes of each episode do not live and die around death, you know? That's fair. And I think it's just, it's, it's cheap and easy and Moffat especially really likes to go there and he always picks the doctor because we like the doctor, so to speak. So, like... Can we talk about an episode that has a different kind of stakes that you said that you don't like very much, which is The Beast Below? Sure. Um, so, I have... The Beast Below has really weird stakes. It's very different from the, the Doctor's either going to die or the, the Companion's going to die. Yeah. It's the country as a unit might die, a lot of people might die, and also this one beautiful creature might die right and the real stakes are between you know the doctor and amy where amy is not sure if the doctor will kill every human being on the ship yes Um, and so chooses to hide information from him and ultimately ends up solving the problem of the episode so i really like the beast below Okay. What do you dislike about it? Um, less than I remember. <laughs> um, I would have to agree, having rewatched it, that. Oh, okay. I I don't I didn't think it was as bad as I remember thinking it was. Probably the worst part about it, which you noticed as well, was the the rhyming, which Moffat does a lot of rhyming. Literally every other episode, I swear to God, let me do a quick search in this sheet for the, rhyming. The ones that I found were, I think the first rhyming that I noticed was in Beast Below, and then afterwards he does uh, in, a, in A Good Man Goes to War, where that's a poem. And uh, he does it again in Wedding of River Song with the TikTok goes the clock thing. And then the worst one of all of them is in Name of the Doctor. Where you do not fear the whisper men and whispers are so true. The whisper, whisper, whisper men, they'll stop and look at you. 
Don't forget what to eat your poo. What the hell is this? <laughs> no, it's real bad. Uh, listen also has a bad rhyme. Um, oh, yeah, I forgot that and, one. And so does Twice Upon a Time. Oh, yeah. There, there's... It ends with a good old-fashioned rhyme. You gotta. It can't be Moffat without a rhyme. Or saying the fucking name of the show. This is the one that bothers me the most. And, like, <laughs> I've had friends and family call me out on it shouldn't bother me this much, but I don't care. Like, oh, my God. He says Doctor Who so many times. It's his favorite thing to be like, what show are we watching? <laughs> like, ugh. I think more so he's just interested in the idea of mysteries and long mysteries and that's the longest one and it's kind of the only one that's left Uh, yeah but like from the beginning it's a show that's ran for 50 years and to keep a secret that long and to really focus on it a lot and they did in sort of the earlier show like but but they didn't at all in, in russell t's era but then moffat is like no, yeah, I think this is an interesting question. Why does the doctor hide his name? Is it out of shame? Is it to protect something? Is it, you know, what is it? No, that's fine. But, like, it's just, like, the oldest question in the universe is Doctor <laughs> Who. Like, stop. It's not, like... He's overly dramatic. Yeah. That's like, a Moffat trope. That is for being sure. overly dramatic. Melodrama is so like if if russell t is camp moffat is melodrama that's a good uh that's a good distinction i like that um but i just tend to side more towards melodrama i think i like high you know high concept i mean yeah i guess but like when he really get like i think the worst of moffat is when he leans too heavily on the melodrama which is why we get things like season seven well season seven obviously happens for a number of reasons <laughs> that are distinct yeah um, so you can't call out season seven too much i mean that happened for the reason that Mava just stretched himself way too thin sure and for the same reason that sherlock season four is a shit show um or season three <laughs> or yeah three whatever it was um and season seven is equally just awful every single episode in that is terrible yeah um there's no saving grace there some of them are watchable like i think a town called mercy is somewhat watchable i don't even but everything else is everything else is just tragic um (laughs) There's, like, th- three episodes with uh, Jenny, Vastra, and Strax in it. There's... I do like those characters, I will say. Those those three, for me, were the bright spot in an otherwise... Right, but they're overused so much in that season. Like, yeah. they're introduced, and then they just won't leave them alone. Yeah. I don't know. Um, I was glad for them, because it meant I didn't have to spend as much time with the Impossible Girl. Oh god, the Impossible Girl storyline is just peak Moffat. It's it's a mystery box that leads nowhere. Yep. It's a commodification of a female character. And so it's much just fake awful. death. 
Yeah, it's just literally fake death over and over again, which is Moffat's favorite thing. It's his favorite thing. It's my least favorite thing. <laughs> it doesn't bother me as as much as you because I just I understand the purpose of twists in storytelling structure and the idea that like a fake death is not really a fake death, it's a resurrection. Right, but it's it becomes Here's the thing. I'm not against like fake death as a trope period i think absolutely it's a resurrection it's coming back it's blah 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 fine if you use it as your big twist in like all of your big episodes it stops being effective as like either a surprising trope or a metaphor it's just like well the plot is gonna call for this person to come back because we want to keep watching the show so Yeah, I mean, typically, like, it's to make the doctor more angry in whatever episode he's in. Yeah. So, like, that's, like, a thing in um, The Magician's Apprentice or The Witch's Familiar, whichever it is. Yeah. Um, so, like, Missy and Clara get disintegrated, but no, they actually got teleported. And it's to make the doctor angry, but the doctor should pretty much know that they're fine. Well, I don't know. Like, <sighs> I guess, yes, but does it make the doctor that angry? It does for, like, a little bit, but then... Well, it's what actually starts him, like, trying to take over Scarrow. Yeah. Like, getting in the chair. Yeah. Before that, he's just, like, paying a visit, because he's just being a doctor. He's got that duty of care. Yeah, that's the big thing that becomes the catchphrase for seasons eight through nine. I think that works as a catchphrase because he uses it differently each time. Well, and it like, means something different every time he does it. Sure, and Clara uses it as well. Yeah. Um. All right. What are some other Moffat tropes that we've got going on? Okay, I got a lot of them listed here. Here are his like sci-fi tropes that he'll just do because he likes sci-fi. Yeah. He likes stories about people waiting because time travel lets you skip large portions of time. Yeah. So. That happens in Blink, 11th Hour. The Pandorica opens when Rory is stuck for a long-ass time. Uh, Angels take Manhattan. Rory is stuck again. Um, Time of the Doctor. This time the Doctor is waiting a long-ass time. Um, The Woman Who Lived, uh, me or a shielder, um, ends up waiting. He's the trope namer for the long way round, right? Um, yeah, I think so. Yeah, he's a trope namer for a couple of tropes. That and wibbly-wobbly, timey-wimey. Of course. Which is just, like, Buffy-speak, but about, you know, Space. sci-fi concepts. Yeah. And, and, yeah. Um, and then Heaven Sent, the Doctor's waiting again, this time for, like, 2,000 years. Yeah. Um, and then World Enough in Time... Bill is waiting for years before uh, she gets turned into a Cyberman. Yeah. That, I, okay, let me say this. I'm not a big fan of the way that Moffat tends to use the the waiting trope, but yeah. the the one with Bill. Um, World Enough in Time, World yeah, the season 10 finale. Yeah. Tragic. I loved that. Uh, like, okay, confession time, y'all. Um, I loved Doctor Who season five. I thought was absolutely amazing. I was so happy that Moffat took over. Then season six and seven were such garbage. And then I, I slogged my way through season eight. And then at the end of season eight, I gave up the show for a really long time. 
Um, and I honestly have not watched Doctor Who until I came back to prepare for this episode. Welcome back. Yeah, but actually, and I was so pleasantly surprised to see that what I thought was the writing had just improved enormously by season 10 and I cared about everyone again I liked the doctor I liked Bill I liked the the crazy Nardle. weird I lo- I loved Nardle yeah I I liked everyone I liked all of the the concepts that Moffat was playing with I was so happily surprised at he, what season 10 offered He woke back up he he, yeah. he reawakened Moffat reborn. Yeah. I would say that, that there is really a, a major shift between seasons eight and nine, even bigger than the shift between seven and eight, which was pretty significant. Sure. Um, honestly, to talk a little bit about World Enough in Time, I think it's a great example of how I think Moffat is a lot subtler with social commentary as well. Sure. Because I see the whole episode of World Enough in Time and the one after it, The Doctor Falls as a trans allegory Mm -hmm. would you agree with that um so it's it's using conversion along with the concept of gender in a way that i think is interesting because the master keeps purposefully misgendering bill you know calling her an it or a he and then it also plays with gender in the fact that you have a male and female version of the same character uh talking to each other and interacting to me, it just, it feels very, oh, and also, like, the way that Bill sees herself is not the way that society sees her. She's forced to, you know, hide her emotions and her true self, and everyone's sort of afraid of her, um, but she just sort of wants to be who she is. And that, to me, it feels very trans to me. It's, like, coded trans. Maybe not, it, maybe it's not intentional, Yeah. But I absolutely read it that way. Okay, um... Yeah, I I can see it happening. I I don't think I definitely don't think the intention was there, but that doesn't mean it like isn't I think a it was just because just because of the thing with the the master misgendering. Like that to me is the only thing that I I would say makes it like a major connection as, sure. as opposed to just like a tiny link. Sure. Um, I think there was a lot of, like, interesting sort of half-social commentary going on. I don't know. In season 10, yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, definitely a lot of interesting social commentary. That's just going to happen when you have uh, a black lesbian (laughs) as a companion. Um, Yeah. Like, that's just going to invite that stuff. Um, And I think in a really cool, modern way that, like, good on the show for, like, starting to step up you know especially since Moffat has been so bad about taking criticism in that regard yeah um like he responds terribly to anybody telling him that his characters are sexist or that his writing is a little problematic or that he doesn't include enough people or that you know well why couldn't the doctor be a woman uh he responds terribly to any of that criticism right but I think he was kind of internalizing it all that time. Yeah. So it kind of represents some hope for uh, us and our fellow social justice warriors that the <laughs> war is possible to win. Yeah. You're not just always going to get people to retreat to their basest instincts. You can sometimes change them. Yeah. It, well, like, that was the thing to me. Like, season 10 felt so fresh and different. And, like, I think starting with... 
um, Heaven Sent, maybe even. Like, I don't know. There was a lot of good stuff going on in season nine, too. Yeah. Um, but just like, I think season 10 really crystallized it, a lot of it. Um, Absolutely. And, and really just brought out some of the best of Moffat's writing. Um, like, yeah, Extremis is, is one of my favorite episodes in the whole show. Um, yeah. It's just like really well paced and the mystery is interesting. And it's the, the episode is solved in kind of this like hopeless situation way. And hopeless situations are like a big part of season 10. This like Kaiser Maru. Right. Well, um, and so like, I think this is another example where like, I guess there was d- fake death in it, but like it didn't feel as annoying as in some of his other fake death episodes. Um, Extremis. Yeah. Just cause like, and like the twist at the end didn't feel overcomplicated and like, no, it's for... a classic sci-fi trope that just has never been done in doctor who that way before. Right. And, it, and it didn't feel like an annoying, like, Oh, it's all a simulation sort of thing you know it really felt like hey this is like yeah it was a simulation but like it was a simulation with a purpose and like like those things that happened to those characters still mattered like someone else was still able to observe them it didn't feel like there is yeah character development that was then retconned you know absolutely not yeah and i just love the scene where you have uh, a gay woman going on a date for the first time and then the Pope runs in. Yeah. That's really funny. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> like, yeah, like it's genuinely funny. I don't know. It's it's really, it is good. You know, that arc didn't really resolve in a, in a satisfying way in the third episode, Lie of the Land, but you can't really blame that on Moffat. One, his mom had just died Oof. and two someone had taken over as a writer um for the end of that three-parter for for the end of the, that three-parter so moffat loves the idea that like there are some things that humans just have to do and if you try not to do them for a really long time it's it's scary yeah so blinking thinking and listening listening <laughs> and um like don't don't look around. Don't turn around. Yeah, he um, really likes this idea of observation creates the thing. Or, like, there's yeah. there's certain things where, like, it only exists if you think about it. Or it only exists if you look at it. Or it stops existing when you look at it. Um, like, I think he plays with both sides of those things. Absolutely. And so, in the same way, like, in the first episode with the angels, it's don't blink don't you know uh close your eyes and then in time of angels he flips it and it's don't open your eyes and you have to walk like you can see i get that you don't like that episode but i just think it's a an expansion of this really interesting concept of how does how does looking at something affect you and what does it mean to like what why does it look like an angel you know what is what is the purpose of that and i think this kind of deals with that sure i i I can give you that. I just think it's a failure of an episode <laughs> of exploring uh, If you that say concept. so. I mean, I really like the way that it plays with the main season arc. I feel like there's a lot of stakes in it. I feel like River is a lot more interesting here than she was in Silence in the Library. 
Um, Interesting. Okay. Because it's because it's it focuses a lot more on the mystery of her character and yeah. setting up that arc. Maybe it doesn't yeah. pay off super well, but I feel like the setup is solid. No, I think I would I would agree with you because in the first like this is the second time we ever see River outside of Silence in the Library, right. um, or like the first time we see her out of that. Yeah. Um, so like this is our first time sort of being like, oh crap, River's back. Like that was very exciting when like you know the trailers were released for that and we knew it yeah. was coming. Um. But it's just sad where that storyline goes, but we'll get to that later. I think that the biggest failure of the River Song arc is that once we find out, because we reveal the mystery kind of gradually. In in Time of Angels, we find out that she killed someone. We assume it's the doctor. Um, we later find out that that's definitely true and uh, that she has something to do with like regeneration and being like a Time Lord or something. And then the final twist that we find out is that, okay, Riversong is Amy's daughter, but that doesn't pay off. It changes nothing about their relationship. Yeah. We literally find out in Let's Kill Hitler that she and Amy have lived together for 10 years, or 20 years, sorry, um, without any interaction between them, like... Changing. Yeah, I have a lot of opinions on that, which I'm going to save for part two of this episode. <laughs> um, right. But yeah, it it I would agree on a basic level with what you're saying right now. Yeah, like not even on a female character level, but just on a straight up, like, come on. <laughs> you, you've set up this incredibly important plot point that two characters are related. It's a soap opera. Right. But you didn't pay it off with, oh my God, hey, remember that time, River, when you and I were children and playing in the playground? I don't know. Right. That's one of the things that I feel is um, like one of the bigger missteps that Moffat ends up taking, which is just the fact that like he'll set up a lot of this character stuff like in, in season five. Um, it's very much like what happened to Amy's parents. And then we find out at the end of that season, but then the next season they're immediately put on a bus and we never like <laughs> literally never see them in the series again. Right. Well, I mean, sometimes I think that like that one just had to do with the fact that they hired some bit actors that they like couldn't get back cause they were doing other projects. I don't know if I'm a bit actor, I'm sure, and especially like, during but that like, era. The main thing is just that they're not really characters, right? Uh, right, sure. But like that doesn't mean you couldn't make them characters. Like Yeah, that's what I'm saying, yeah. And and the fact is that there was all this weight and importance put on them and like the fact that Amy had her parents back was like a huge supposed to sort of be a big deal. But then like Again, we literally never see them after the Big Bang. Whoops. Whoops. Forgot about them. Yeah, he forgets. Do they want to meet their granddaughter? (laughs) Also a thing that the doctor, or not the doctor, that that Moffat tends to do, I think, um, is just like, he's got his hyperverbal style, which we've sort of talked about. Um, There's Mm -hmm. a lot of banter. It's a lot of, like... Weedony, Sorkin-y, like, 
back and forth. Yeah. It's very much in that style um, of people being clever around each other and like quippy comebacks. In a show like Doctor Who, I would rather you try to be clever and fail than just not be clever at all. For sure. But here's the thing. I don't think that like Russell T. Davies wasn't clever like i think there's a lot of fun clever doctor i think lines. he wasn't clever okay i mean what, here's like, the what's thing. a line that's really memorable from russell that has to do with like you know cleverly revealing information or like a twist i, I can't think of one it's always just direct exposition like i'm or, or, or like techno babble like russell does a ton of techno babble like i'm gonna reverse the electronic blah 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 pacifier and shoot the shoot the juice on the on the and shoot the uh medicine juice on the zombies and then they'll be good all right i i don't know like you're right i can't think of one off the top of my head but at the same time I whereas think like it's Moffat not will do bad. stuff like in deep breath i love this line from deep breath where he's like no you're asking all the wrong questions and like they're talking about like what questions should we be asking what's the mystery here and the mystery is all about, like, this giant dinosaur was just vaporized in Times Square. I mean, in uh, in the Thames. And the real question is, have there been any similar murders? I love that line. Like, it's, it's playing with your expectations. Ugh, I guess. I can't bring myself to like that line, because I <laughs> dislike the whole dinosaur. The dinosaur is a bad plot point. I... It's a dinosaur. It's bad. It's not bad. It's just doesn't... It's not there for a reason. Like, it's just there for fun. Like, but like you, you tend to like fun, don't you? I do tend to like fun. But this... But I like fun that's got, like, at least a modicum of connection to, like, plot beyond, like, ah, oh, let me think about the murder. Like, I don't know. Hmm. <laughs> I don't know. I don't like the doc, the dinosaur. It's like, oh, the dinosaur's lonely too, and the doctor's lonely. Wow, what else is new? We know the doctor's lonely. Like, chill. I don't think that was the purpose of the dinosaur. I think it was because it's really funny to watch the doctor flirt with a Tyrannosaurus Rex. <sighs> I don't know. I don't think it is. And, like, it's very weird and bizarre. All right, what, what other Moffat tropes you got for me? Um, he also likes don't think about it. So yeah. don't think about the snowmen. Don't think about the face huggers in Last Christmas. Mm-hmm. And don't think about the crime that you're doing in Time Heist. Yeah. Which is a really bad episode. Yeah. Time Heist is not great. But I like Last Christmas because I feel like that was the only time where he actually sort of used that don't think about it aspect to its full extent. You know, he had them sort of singing songs and you know, thinking about, and and they use it to reveal, like, this big secret that, like, you know, the doctor's like, think about Danny Pink off with some other girl, and then, like, uh, Clara slaps him and is like, he's dead. I think that works really well as a way to reveal that, like, they had been lying to each other. Right. So, like, I I like Last Christmas. What do you think? Yeah, I liked it. It's definitely not, Santa's in it? The worst. I do. I love me a Nick Frost Santa. Uh, Perfect. 
It was real good. Um, he also loves having voices that continue after death because he's really interested in these yeah. like you know freshman's philosophy major questions of like you know what does it mean to be alive or dead so empty child you've got like the tape player stops but the voice keeps going um you've got like in silence of the library you've got the ghosting which i love the ghosting that was like the first time he did it so it was new right that's that's i think the biggest problem with with moffat is not that the tropes that he uses are necessarily bad or uninteresting. It's that he just he... overuses everything. Yeah. There's only like three real ideas. Right. And then he decided to write six fucking seasons. Right. Time <laughs> of Angels was also like a voice after death. You have, uh, you know, Angel Bob. Yep. Yep. That's so true. Uh, Asylum of the Daleks. A lot of them talk and then they remember that they died. Right. While talking. Yep. Um, also, they ruin the Daleks in that one by just turning them into Cybermen, yeah. who just convert people. Yeah. But Daleks see everyone as impure, who's like converted. I so know. why would they do that? The human Dalek um, thing is very dumb. Very very dumb. <laughs> um, Bells of Saint John did talking after death too. It was the I don't know where I am yep. thing. Yeah. And then that's repeated in Name of the Doctor, where um, she also doesn't know where she is. And they do this other unrelated talking after death thing when Jenny is in like their psychic phone call, their psychic conference call thing, Mm -hmm. which was really dumb. And then she's like, I'm sorry, I left the door open and now I'm dead. And it's like, what? Okay. (laughs) So he reuses the voices after death thing all the time. It's really dumb. We already talked about dying over and over again. Um, did we talk about heaven or digital heaven and hell? No, let's talk about that. Cause I think that's like kind of an interesting one. Yeah. So we introduced that in silence in the library where you have, um, you know, the, the, the heaven of all these people who have been saved by the computer. Mm-hmm. So then the next one is in let's kill Hitler. It, this one isn't a digital heaven. It's a digital hell, um, which is the Tesselecta which is like a time-traveling hell machine that goes around punishing bad people right before they die. Well, is that really hell? Yeah, they literally say, give them hell, and then, like, make a reference to, like, oh, you're playing God. Like, the whole point is that they torture bad people throughout time and space. Okay. I, 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 can, I can read Moffat's mind. Let me put it that way. Okay, and sure. In Moffat's mind, this is him explaining how hell exists in the Doctor Who universe. Okay. Um, the next one after that, I would say it could you could consider the Bells of St. John to be that, because like they're all kind of trapped in more like a purgatory. Right. But the real next one is Death in Heaven. Yes. Where heaven is a Time Lord computer that saves people in order to download them into Cybermen. Right. Good good for you. <laughs> you managed to squeeze it in one more time. But they use well, it kind of to deal with getting over someone's death, which I think is interesting. Yeah, for sure. And they also do the don't cremate me thing, which is fucking terrifying. Yeah, definitely. Definitely that one. Um. <laughs> people, like, wrote letters after the don't cremate me thing happened, and they were like... Why would you do this, Moffat? <laughs> Why? 
I've cremated my mother like a day ago. Why would you do this? Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> the answer is because it's scary. Um, and then the next, the last one was in his very finale, right? Um, after that, no. Uh, I would say Heaven Sent, Hell Bent. Oh yeah. So again, dealing with like a purgatory, like t- torture chamber. Yeah. Absolutely. And it absolutely talks about heaven and hell, but more in a metaphorical sense. Right. Um, and, and I mean, I think he also does explore, I think you said this earlier, this is a little bit of a digression, but just that um, he really takes the lonely doctor thing and like doubles down on it. Um, and yeah. what it's like to be the last of your kind or to live forever and watch everyone else die. Like that's the whole thing with Maisie Williams character. Um, yeah and the girl who died and all that um yeah so that's sort of an afterlife like he talks about immor being immortal more than you know more than anything in those episodes right and i think um, especially going towards twice upon a time like that's kind of what he's interested in exploring a little bit right and in twice upon a time that is the most literal heaven ever it's like a time traveling thing that captures people and stores them in heaven Right. Forever. 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 (laughs) Um, So he really loves that idea because he's dealing with, you know, he's dealing with philosophy on like an eighth grade level. Yeah. Which like, I think speaks to like, and he's come out and said this before that like, Doctor Who's the sort of thing that should be able to be complicated enough to surprise children, but like. Or, or it's simple enough for children to understand, but complicated enough to, like, entice adults. Yeah, so these are questions that we have from when we're really young that last until we die that no philosopher has ever truly been able to solve. Right. You know, they're just interesting questions. Right, and it's like, why not watch something that plays a play around with them? Right. And, like, Russell doesn't really care about any of that shit. He's just not interested. He's way more interested in talking about, like, social things that are happening right now. Right. You know? Like, he wants to be like, I want to see a future where gay people are accepted. I want to see a future where money isn't such an important thing in our lives. I want to see a future where there's no more war and no more death. Right. Which I think is fine. I think... Like I think that that there's de- like Doctor Who is a big show. It has room for two different views on what it is. I, yeah, and I think you know I haven't watched a lot of classic Who, but you know New Who is I'm pretty sure fairly different from what that was. Absolutely, and I think that that show changed a lot. It started out as an educational program, and then sort of transitioned into more of an action show, spy thriller with John Pertwee's era. And then, you know, it became really its own thing that wasn't like anything else under the fourth doctor, Tom Baker. And then it sort of got confused. It got a little weird. <laughs> got a little Just weird. like kind of campy and silly and kind of rehashing the same things over and over again. Mm-hmm. And then Russell resurrected it as a commentary on our time. Yeah. Which, like, I, I think was great. And I think, you know, for... For everyone who has a problem with, like, the RTD era, they all give him props for managing to bring the show back and resurrect it and, like, make it popular enough to have now 11 seasons. 
you know? <laughs> Which is Absolutely. A crazy And I look feat. forward to seeing what the next show is going to be because I don't think it's going to be the same thing. I don't think... Chibnall, he... if anything, the episodes that he's written are bad, but, like, their main focus is on, like, really campy shit, just, like, adventure stuff. So I feel like the show might change again and be, like, more of an adventure, maybe a mystery like Broadchurch or yeah. something. Like, what do you think? Um, I don't know. I uh, I didn't get a chance to really, like, dig into... Um, do you want me to just Chibnall's... list what episodes he wrote? Well, I know it's like, it's like The Power of Three and Dinosaurs on a Spaceship, which I hated. Um, but it's season seven, so everything sucks. Yeah. Um, and then he also wrote 42. Right. And the Solorian two-parter in season five. Yeah, which, like... They're not horrible. Horrible. I like. I like the power of three ish. Um, until the end, yeah. Until like, the end. The parts where it's just the doctor and his companions hanging out. That's fun. Right. Like I think we're. I'm hoping that we're going to get a lot of really great character stuff out of this. That's the real hope. Is that it's a character driven show after this, rather than a philosophy driven show or a social commentary driven show. Right. Um. So I think that'll be really interesting to see. Um, and I think on that note, we're going to wrap up for this week and Absolutely. we'll see you guys not two weeks from now, not two, just one week, just one, one short, and we're going to talk about Moffat and Russell T on women. Um, yeah, get them off of them. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm Hannah and this is David and we'll and see get you next Russell week. and Steve off of women. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>